and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Paul Tanter. I'm Matt Brooks. And I'm Ange Pearson. And we've been looking forward to chatting with this week's guest for a while now. He started as a DJ playing nightclubs such as Dogstar, Sugar Hut and Ministry of Sound. He's now a broadcaster, interviewer, film critic and writer with publications including Heat, Entertainment Focus, New Empress Film Magazine and Screen Jabber on his CV. He's currently the resident film critic for BBC Suffolk and Phoenix FM. But he's here today as the man who quite literally wrote the book on Rick Mail. He's the author of Rick Mail, Comedy Genius, a biography of the great man, which is available now. Mark Searby, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here talking bottom with us today. Oh, well, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, it's it, hugely appreciated. And uh, Angela, uh, may I say what a charming, smashing <laughs> blouse you have on. <laughs> Why, thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to say it's a dress, but um, it's not. <laughs> but it's <laughs> neither a blouse. It's too cold for a blouse today, I'm afraid. Mark, to kick us off, you've written a biography about Rick and I've seen you introduce Drop Dead Fred at film screenings and you've written about it in magazines. You're obviously a huge Rick Mail fan. Do you recall how and when your fanship started? You know what? I knew you were going to ask me this question. I genuinely knew you were going to ask me this. There, Even though we, you know, we've not spoken about questions, I knew you were going to... I don't have the answer. I, I genuinely don't. I think it was... The, the way I would describe it is... Thank you for joining us, Mark. It's been a great <laughs> waste of time. You know who Rick is. <laughs> I really think that there's just life before Rick mm. and life with, with Rick. That That's it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I can tell you when I first saw Bottom Tour. I can't tell you when I first saw Bottom. Um, I can't tell you when I first saw Young Ones. It was just... Life before Rick and now life with Rick. And that's mm. it. Um, I would imagine my early teens, but that's me having any guess. Could have been earlier. Yeah. Was it something that you quoted in the school ground the next day or anything like that? Was it that sort of uh, favourite formative show for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, obviously in the episode where he's talking, uh, Lieutenant Sex Machine, Homicide, <laughs> um, that one, we had a whole play at school which was meant to be really serious. And then it just descended into anarchy. And, and that line kept coming up. And it must have been the week after that episode aired or something. But everybody did it. Everybody. It was meant to be a serious play. And then it just descended into, well, Rick and Aid. Uh, did the teachers know what, what you guys were up to? I can't imagine so. I just don't imagine it at all. You know, it's, the, it's that young one syndrome, isn't it, that... If you know what the young ones is, you get it. Everybody else looks at it and goes, oh, look at that. They're just absolute ruffians. Mark, our viewers obviously can't see this, but behind you on your wall is a very prominent poster of the front cover of your book, Rick Mail Comedy Genius. So can you tell us a little bit about what sort of spurred you to write it, please? I think it came from having read rick's book on kindle I, I've, I've got the normal book you know hardback um but i thought I'd, I'd like to go back and read it but i don't want to read the actual book because obviously it's quite a rarity these days you know first pressing so i read it on kindle and i don't know if you've seen it on kindle but it's a mess um <laughs> somebody's clearly just put it on kindle not formatted it it's, it's just horrible and i was reading it and i was thinking well this is great if you read rick's book as a script of a film of rick's life that has not been made then you'll enjoy it if you read it as an autobiography it doesn't make sense uh -huh. it, with, did you go into expecting an autobiography because i i got it at the, i bought it at the time and i thought 
even based on the radio adverts that you that were running for it i thought oh it's going to be a it's going to be the book of his life and it was something quite different wasn't it yeah exactly the same at the time but it didn't matter at the time that was the thing rick had put a book out mm. i'm going to read it i'm going to say it's the greatest thing ever anyway and then you go back to it years later and as you said you kind of you're a little bit disappointed with it if you want to know more stuff there's bits in there about the young ones and filthy rich and cat's lap and bottom but how much is true and how much is rick being embellished exactly yes you're right there matt embellished how much is it embellished into uh rick you know uh pan global phenomenon what what is there in there that is the truth and i think that's the thing so i had always wanted a, I, i'd always wanted to read a book about rick you know i'm i'm a fan of reading the books i would much rather read a book than have to write the damn thing i mean <laughs> it takes years of life just for you guys to uh, be aware yeah. of it what um, was there available at all back then uh, before your book there's the scripts series one and two there's a young one's book yeah is there anything else that he's even written at all was he even like an author or anything any of them no so he did a couple of poems for some books uh for charity books and then there was a couple of other bits out there uh books based on nursery rhymes because obviously when he was doing his voiceovers uh, there was a lot of those but in terms of books no there was nothing there was rick's book and that was it, really. I mean, you guys have, have read the scripts. There's not that much in there outside of what there was actually in the scripts. You're not going to find too much information. I kind of thought it would be really interesting to find out all of the little nuggets of information and actually bits that he did that most of us are not aware of, including myself, probably you lot as well, and everybody listening as well. There's bits that people have no idea that Rick did, and yet they're incredibly funny. So I kind of thought, well, this would kind of be interesting as a book to find out his whole career, I think is the best way to describe it, because I'm leaving his private, I, I left his private life out of it, apart from obviously saying when he got married and when his children were born. And it was just so interesting to go and find all of these little bits, you know, films that only were released in France or uh, audio books that have now finally seen the light of day but years later so there's lots of little things that you really had to dig into so it wasn't just a case of typing in rick mail into google and looking <laughs> at the first two pages it was finding out all of those others and imdb and wikipedia are not the most reliable things either <laughs> so it came a lot from interviewing people for the book who would then say by the way did you know rick did blah and he did this and he also did that and you'd go no i had no idea and they go okay right let me put you on to so and so because they work with him so it was kind of a domino effect in terms of speaking to these people and that's how i found out quite a bit of stuff that rick had done that i had no idea about so where did you get started though was the first jumping off point did you have anyone anyone close to rick in your life no nope. through kevin bacon he effects anything no. <laughs> so what was the who was the first interview then what did you how did you start who was the first interview that's a really good question i can't do you know i can't remember at all who the first one was it might have been chris wade who did an audiobook called sofa and the cutie guard uh cutie and the sofa guard with rick and we spent couple of hours chatting um and then he put me onto arta de jong who directed drop dead fred then it spiraled from there to finding lawrence marks and and uh morris gran as well and it just kind of went from there and then talking to people about bottom they would say have you spoken to so-and-so you go no okay and they go well here's their details you can have a word with them so it did spiral but starting it it was like where do you start who do you contact mm. first i think the first bit i wrote was probably the chapter on the young ones more than anything because i thought let's start with something that is very influential, that really 
kind of kick-started Rick's career, not not straight away because obviously he'd done a lot of stuff before that, but took it, you know, took it beyond the realms of I think a lot of people were expecting. So doing honing in on one thing, the young ones really helped me understand how the book was going to flow beyond that. So I imagine you've come up with something similar that all of us three have when we mentioned we're doing a podcast. Oh, I've not seen Bottom. Oh, well, it's um, the guy of the, the young ones. I've not heard of the young ones. What are you fucking talking about? How uh, how infuriating do you get with the young the youngins who don't know the young ones? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, do you know I don't I don't hang around with any of those people. Well, good, well done. <laughs> yeah, got, I mean, got better taste than I do. It seems. I mean, let's be honest. You know, as I said, there is people out there who didn't know Rick and now know Rick and will forever live with Rick. And even though Rick has sadly passed on, he's still here in our lives. That's mm. the thing. I don't want to sound this, this sound like a eulogy already, but we're never going to let go of him because of how you came to him. You know, all everybody on this podcast came to Rick some way, mm-hmm. whether it was bottom or whether it was something else. And now you can never let go of it. Mm. That's not a bad thing either. Let's be honest. The way the world is at the moment, we need something fun. And the fact that Bottom and the Young Ones and Kevin Turvey and Filthy Rich and Cat Flap and Drop Dead Fred are still funny to this day shows how much his his and AIDS and 20th Century Coyote and everybody else who was around Rick at that time shows how much that comedy has transcended decades mm-hmm. and generations as well. And we don't get that much. Yeah. Like the, the the legacy of alternative comedy and a lot of, and much of their work lives on, and it's very telling that Rick Mail trends regularly on Twitter on either the anniversary of the day he passed away or his birthday, or sometimes just because Bottoms on TV that night. There's definitely a you know a long lasting influence in terms of the book. Obviously, it sounds like a huge undertaking to write about someone's entire life, especially someone who's done as much as Rick. How long did the whole project take for you? And do, do, do you have an idea of like how many people you interviewed for it? Hang on, are you just getting tips for you guys writing this? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. This is what it's sounding like. <laughs> um, so it took me, I would say, around two years to write it. From, from the point of really sitting down and going for it, about two years. But it could have been longer. Part of the problem was trying to establish the timeline of things when, when Rick had done it compared to when it was released. And that kind of sent me a little bit crazy as to... It was like a jigsaw, to be honest. So doing that. And you were asking about people to be interviewed, was you? Mm. What was the second part of it? Uh, Do you have an idea of how many people you spoke to for it? So there is nearly 60 exclusive interviews in the book. Um, who, so people who I spoke to who, you know, are, are very famous, uh, you know, names I've given there as well. But then also some people who you don't recognise, but have been involved in Rick's life somewhere along the line, either behind the scenes or helping promote something that he's done. So it was nearly 60. I mean, let's be honest, it's not difficult talking to people who have worked with Rick Mail. The difficulty is trying to shut them up so you have just enough uh, to put in your book because otherwise the book becomes about 600 pages. And I'm sure we would all want to read that, you know, not edit anything, but at some point you have to take something out. And sometimes the story's got a little bit lewd, a little bit too crude, (laughs) even for Rick. And sometimes there were stories that I'm told, you can't repeat this, you can't put this in the book at all. But you can say on a podcast is what they knowingly said with a a, a, a wink in the eye. So just give us an exclusive. (laughs) Listen, I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble at all. It's too dangerous. But when I see you in the pub... 
<laughs> that sounds like all right. That sounds like a deal. Yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't expect you to libel anyone, repeat any stories that people told you not to, to not to repeat. But we would be. <laughs> but- was there anyone who you approached for the book and who either didn't get back to you or passed, you know, you know, politely maybe, or maybe less so politely, but who said, no, I don't, I don't want to be, um, I'd rather not. Uh, there was only two people who actually passed on it. One of them was uh, Spud Gunn, basically. Mm. Um, he, I, I actually met him. That's how I got him to sign the DVD. And he was at a Comic-Con with Dave Hedgehog. Sure. Which is, you know, which is automatically brilliant. And they were on the tables next to each other. And I'd already re- interviewed Christopher Ryan anyway. So I went over and said, oh, good to finally meet you in person. He's like, yeah, great. So we had a chat. And he said, let me just go and inter- introduce you to Stephen, because obviously you're here to interview him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So he interviews me. And to be fair to Stephen, lovely man, absolutely d- delight to speak to him. But he said, Mark, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to go on record with, every, you know, with my thoughts on Rick he said because they're personal to me he said I've had so many people ask me through the years but they're personal to me I was a huge fan before I appeared in Bottom he said so for me acting alongside one of my heroes he said was a joy and he said I don't want to lose that by watering it down by it appearing here there and everywhere and you know what I totally get that I absolutely get it I've got no problem with that so I said to him thank you very much you know I I get it it's no problem um, so that was all. And then the other one was obviously Adrian Edmondson, who ultimately I spoke to his representatives who were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They were really helpful. But it was always he hasn't responded. And that's it's how a it very, very was. familiar story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this feels very familiar. Yes. Yeah. But um, you have to respect it because it's probably a similar thing for Aid, maybe that he doesn't want to have that, you know, go on record about, you know, what is very private. It's like a marriage, isn't it? It's said as much as before. And it's talking, it's it's a talking about your best friend who you worked with, who you built your career with, who's passed away. It's going to be massively emotional. And um, imagine, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly on a podcast. Do you know, it's interesting what you were saying there, Matt, about it being a marriage. And the way I liken it is to, there was a relationship many years ago, back in the late 70s, early 80s, um, for a football manager who was the manager of my football team, Nottingham Forest, Brian Clough, the late, great Brian Clough. And he had a right-hand man called Peter Taylor. And together they won nearly every cup that was possible in European football. And then they had a massive falling out and they never spoke again. And then Peter Taylor died very suddenly. And from then on, anytime somebody asked Brian Clough, he was full of remorse. He said, I'm a stupid idiot. I should have made it up with Peter. I held a grudge too long. Now he's gone. I can never say anything to him. And I think that's the same here. I think that's 50% or more of AIDS thing is that he, he feels like something went, you know, that was more than just a friend, that was more than just a writing partner. It was, as you said, a, a marriage for 30 years, really, let's be honest. And how do you, how do you compute that? How do you deal with that mentally? Um, I guess some people speak about it all the time and they, they enjoy the jokes. Other people just push it way down. And I, I think that's what's probably happened with aid. I imagine personally, he talks to, you know, his wife and friends and family all the time about Rick because they have so many stories, but professionally it is one of those things where it feels like it feels very much like he cuts off the, 
the interview very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Angela knows it because you interviewed Aid a few years ago, didn't you? And I saw your interview and it was, I mean, I saw how you were trying to sort of lightly badger him into talking more about bottom. And then it was maybe two sentences from him. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, well, look, here's Angela who runs a walking bottom podcast. Like, you know, if you want me to send you the questions in advance, so there's no tricky yeah. ones, we will do it but he's still shutting those things down. And I'm yeah. like, this is, mm-hmm. it's, it's disappointing, I think is the way to describe it. But as you have all found out, some people just don't want to talk about it. And, and I completely respected it. And, it, you know, again, it was all very polite and there was no, you know, it was just, yeah, I can completely understand why he didn't want to be drawn on certain topics. And right. it's a shame for all of us, because of course, like, as you say, like as fans, our reaction to losing Rick, you know, the three of us have all started this podcast since we lost Rick. I was doing pub quizzes about Bottom, you know, like you've written a book about Rick. You know, we, we've reacted as fans to want to compile and get more and more and more information and document it. And it's such an important thing. You write in Comedy Genius, Rick Mail. It's, it's great to have that one book and that's what we want to do. But, you know, we've narrowed it down so it might be a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to do a specialist subject on Mastermind, you know, ours would always be bottom, you know, but like, it's fantastic that you've got all all of Rick's stories in there. Um, We're obviously focusing on the bottom, but just to ask what particular stories that you can share with us do do stand out for you then that can you is there a favorite story that you'd heard about Rick you never heard before and it came out in your research oh there's loads honestly there were so many um I mean I'm thankful that I managed to put most of them in the book to be Mm. honest with you as well do you want them bottom centric or any any, yeah (laughs) just want to like give an advert for your book those the 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 loads of the viewers who have not read it yet give us one of the things you would say this is a stand-up moment and buy the book to read more but give the whole story don't give it a okay okay right i will give a story about um when carlos davis was with rick he's the writer of drop dead fred and they were filming drop dead fred and carlos davis was there and rick was trying to find the character of drop dead fred he kind of knew who it was but he, he couldn't get it and Carlos Davis has said to me that Laurence Olivier always found the character through the nose. So when he understood what the the character's nose would be like, he understood who the character was. And Rick was the same, but Rick was with hair. So once Rick knew what their hair would look like, he knew who the character was going to be. So Drop Dead Fred obviously came with this wild hair and he got that, but he couldn't get the outfit right. They, they just couldn't get it. He couldn't find it. And one day they were walking through New York and they saw this women's shoe shop. And in this women's shoe shop were a pair of red female boots. Mm. Walked in, tried them on. <laughs> that was it. Bought those boots there and then. And obviously he wears them in the film. However, the story continued from there in that they were on, they were on a ferry somewhere And they were passing the Statue of Liberty and all of the Americans were stood there looking at it and marveling at its its wonder and everything. And Rick took one of the red shoes off and held it up, held it aloft. And he said, look, shoe, the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) And all of the Americans turned round at that moment and looked at him. And then he put the shoe into his top pocket (laughs) of his coat. And that was it. So, I mean, that's just one of the stories. 
And I think that's what you get. You know, um, they also told me about when they were at Rick's agent's London office and they were trying to get the story really condensed and they couldn't understand how they would take the, the, the story from where they'd got it to a really good point to the next bit. And Rick was jumping around. He said they were jumping everywhere. They had a piano in there. He was jumping on there. He was hitting the kids. He, he was so manic, as you would expect. But they couldn't get this bit right. And then all of a sudden, he just went, I've got it. We sink the houseboat. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And that, that moment connected the rest of the film, Yeah. really. So there's loads of stories like that, you know, I mean, the... You guys will probably know. I keep saying you guys. Apologies, Angela. You know, you just across oh, the community. I can, yeah, I yeah. consider yeah. myself one of the guys. Fantastic. <laughs> and that's what. And that's one of the most memorable scenes in the film. You can yeah. you can definitely see there's a lot of Rick's sort of anarchy stamped all over it. Um, yes, yeah, but that's all part of his method acting. Then, in terms of getting into Drop Dead Fred, like he was he was literally being Fred in that moment where he held his shoe aloft. Yes, and, I yeah. think that's the thing as well. Is you do you know what you've hit the nail on the head there, really, Angela? Is by saying method acting you know we know method acting like by by brando or pacino or mm. daniel day lewis but there are there are certain levels of method acting and when you have somebody who turns around and says the only way i'm going to find the character is through the hair yeah. then you look at rick's work and every all of them have got yeah. very different hairstyles. yeah it stands out so much as soon as you said it i started thinking of mm. uh, rick's little horrible ponytail things in the young ones <laughs> yeah even filthy rich and cat flap is a very different yeah. hairstyle mm -hmm. But you know, people see that as a follow-on to the young ones. But yeah. when and Richie's hair is so very Richie, isn't it? You know exactly. But... That's the thing. Like you know, you could have something where people have just done the outline, the the shadows. Yeah. And you would know. You would silhouettes. Yeah. Silhouette. You would know instantly. Yeah. So I think it's something. It says something about Rick's determination with the work that he always wanted to find the best way. I mean, the guys who. Um, who did the last hurrah with him, which is an, an amazing series of podcasts about this filthy uh, penguin mm. who's got filthy stories. Um, they were just telling me so many that, you know, they would go around to his house. He would invite them to come around to his house and they would turn up and uh, uh, <laughs> he would open the door wearing some sort of weird outfit or something. And he'd go, oh, here they are. Here's the young boys. And then they would invite him in and he'd go, look at my wife's arse. Isn't it fantastic? You know, it's stories like that. And that everybody who I spoke to said there, there was that weird thing where you're worried about meeting somebody who's famous away from the set or away from mm. something and then being boring or something mm. like that and they said no no rick was exactly how you would pictured him to be he he fulfilled every single moment of my childhood fantasies that he would turn up and he would be like that behind the scenes as well and i think that's the beauty of it really yeah. you know Did the you, fact that he we knows know yeah, yeah he knows what we expect and he's like does he is this own horrible like when the door shuts he just starts crying like i can't i can't face it today i don't know if i i met it uh, once and yeah same thing he was on all the time and just like just, uh, I don't want to go to the toilet or anything I might miss something you know <laughs> well did I you, know did um, you meet did you ever meet Rick I oh. do you know uh, well here's the sadness in the tale is okay. that I did see him while he was filming Dancing Queen in Scarborough um, I actually walked through the set I had no idea it was him because people who know Dancing Queen, to me, it's one of the best things Rick has ever done, to be honest with you. Mm. 
him and Helen and Bon and Carter are in those fluorescent rain macs and he's got his hair trimmed and, you know, but he's got no trousers on. It didn't look like the Rick that I knew from bottom. So I looked, I can still visualize it now today. I can, I look to the left, they're on the ghost train and I'm like, there's two people in high vis things there. Okay. And the guy was like, come on guys, come on, just come through. Cause we're not filming at the moment. Go through six months later, I'm watching Rick mail presents and I'm like, Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Six yards away from the man. <laughs> Therein lies the tale. So no, beyond, no, never met him, oh, ever. I, I met him Very after nice. Bottom Life 4 and Bottom Life 5 and um, at his book signing um, several times. He was fantastic. He, he genuinely, genuinely was every bit of what you'd want him to be. I know. He made you feel like you were the most important person in the room when he talked Ooh, to you. He really now. did. And it, he was the most important person in the room, but he gave you that energy. It was incredible. You see, now that's interesting you say that, Angela, because uh, thankfully, due to writing the book, I've become friends with somebody who was very close to Rick all the way through his, his life. Not a family member, but somebody who was very close to him. And she said exactly the same thing, is yeah. that he would make you feel like you're the only person in the room. He would yeah. make you feel special. But also, he knew how far he could go with each individual person within 20 seconds of meeting yeah. them. So... Yeah. You know, for me, I'd be like, oh, you can fill me up wherever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, there'd be other people out there who are like, I'm too stand off. And he would understand yeah. that. He yeah. knew every single person's body language. Yeah. I think he was a master at that. And I think that's the beauty of it. He understood people. He, you know, he really could get into yeah. what everyone's character was. That was that, that was his genius as an actor. Yeah. And as a, but as a human being, you know, he was really, really emotionally switched on, wasn't he? He was. He was. Mm. Well, but, you know, this is this is the reason why the book is called Comedy Genius, really, is because ultimately, I mean, you guys are not going to disagree here that he, he wasn't a genius. But the word genius is thrown around a lot these days. A mm. lot, you know, oh, that's genius. That is. Oh, that's genius. Oh, he's genius. No, 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 no. Let's look it up in the dictionary and let's find out what genius really means. And that's what I put at the start of the book yeah. is the, the dictionary definition of genius. And Rick fits the bill for both of them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we see many people like that. So that's why I wanted to call it that. Mm. And, you know, it, let's be honest, it, I, I'm going to be biased because I've already called the book that, but I think it works. Yeah, no, there's no better way to sum it up. He, mm. he was and always will be a comedy genius, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So through, through the course of your interviews and your research that you did, did you find much out about bottom and you know is there anything that the ardent bottom fan might not know that you managed to uh, dig up for the book uh well you have covered it on your podcast already i have to say i'm a fan of the podcast anyway here we are I, i'm kissing some ass here now okay so, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you have already said this is that there is this story that has spiraled out of control that bottom came about because they were in the West End doing, um, what was the play? My mind's gone blank. Godo. Thank you. The bottom spun out of that. That's just not true at all. It helped them develop Rick and Aid, but they were already sat in a room at Nolgay Television writing things mm. because, um, and this is what I found out actually uh, from Paul Jackson, who, you know, great guest on your, on your podcast, really interesting. Mm. He had said that, Rick and Aid had seen what Jennifer and Dawn were doing and how popular they were doing it, and which was them sitting in a room Monday to Friday, nine till five, writing, 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 writing. And they would come out with these popular sketches and everything else like that. And they wanted to do something about it. So Paul set them up with this little office in Nolgay Television. And then they started to write and they started to formulate these things. And only when they went obviously to the West End to do Waiting for Godot, 
did they start to formulate more as to who the characters were? But obviously the the pilot episode of Bottom was way before it was released mm. as well, uh, way before it was actually put into series. Mm. So there is this, I think it's it's a false story that it only came about because of Waiting for Godot. It yeah. didn't. It was starting before that. It was probably starting in about 88, 89, something like that. Yeah, well, mm. I think the pilot was filmed around 89, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, as you've said on your program, you you can tell, you know, Rick's hair is different. Mm. AIDS got hair. Um, and obviously that's all gone by the time that they go on to film the, the other five episodes. Um, but yeah, there is this thing going around that it only happened because of that. And it didn't. They were already they wanted to work together, just them two, because obviously they'd worked with Ben Elton and Lisa Mayer on The Young Ones. They'd worked with Nigel Planer on Filthy Rich and Cat Flat, but they really wanted to just hone in just them two because mm -hmm. they'd been to university together and they'd found each other throughout the rest of 20th Century Coyote. They found that they worked together the best. They started out as a double act. Well, maybe not started, started, but where they were brought into the young ones as a double act and weren't a double act in the young ones. So it's not the rich, uh, the Rick and Vivian show, is it? No, they no. don't always have scenes together. The status changes with different people. Filthy rich and cat flap. I don't know if you feel the same, but um, like I always feel a little bit guilty when I talk about some of the, the work that they've done, which isn't their best. And I do feel for rich and cat flap is hit and miss. And then to follow up with bottom, it's like, oh, maybe a little bit of a misstep. But then that's for us really where they hit their stride. And that's there. There's the double act. There was all everything before that was all leading to this. You know, um, do you know what? You're probably right there, Matt. I mean, I stick up for Filthy Rich and Catflap a bit more. I think it has aged better than when it came out, because as Paul Jackson said to me, people thought it was going to be the young ones part two basically and it wasn't it was a stepping stone you can see you you watch that show the first episode is very young ones the last episode is very bottom and there is there is good that point movement. yeah um so it was that stepping stone for them but i still stick up for it i think there's some really interesting things in there especially in this day and age you know of, of scrupulous uh, managers and CD people who, you know, who try to be presenters, especially in the age of the influencer as well, you know, everybody's on. And I think that's the thing with Richie Rich is that he's always on, he's trying to be famous. And you imagine if this show happened now, he would be on TikTok and he would be on Twitter and he would be on Facebook, you know, he'd be on all the social medias trying to be famous and it just wouldn't work. So I think that show has come of age yeah. now more than when it was released. The sad fact is nobody shows it. So it's really yeah. difficult for anybody to just sort of come across it. And that's why I think with Talking Bottom doing these additional episodes where you're talking about Rick and AIDS, other little bits, I think Filthy Rich and Catflap is a really important one because hopefully people will go to it. People will buy the DVD and watch it and go, actually, I can see the way that they've moved over time. And this is an important piece. But it's also, so interesting as a bottom fan to, to find it like I heard of the young ones from my parents so oh, you like that you you will like this then great and I just I before the internet stumbled yeah. upon filthy rich and Catflow. didn't know what the hell it was and it was years until it came out on DVD and then yeah. it's so surreal hearing Eddie Richie like that's what it's, it's like new bottom but very different it's interesting for yet as you say Matt for younger bottom fans to if you come if you if you're a fan of bottom but you're maybe not aware of Rick and Aid's previous work well, most people tend to be at least aware of the young ones to discover 
Filthy Rich and Cat Flab, and then see Dangerous Brothers sketches on YouTube and that kind of thing. And you can kind of and you can kind of see ah, all of these things kind of eventually merge together to form bottom. Uh, you know, you can sort of see all the influences. Um, you mentioned Waiting for Godot earlier. I'm interested to ask Mark if you've Obviously, very few people saw the Rick and Aid uh, version of it because you would need to have been there at the time. There's no video of it. But have you ever seen any <clears throat> interpretation of Waiting for Godot? And if so, do you see any kind of similarity between Bottom and Waiting for Godot? Because there are often inferences made between the two. But you know, it's interesting you bring that up because only yesterday did I watch a film that, that it was a Japanese subtitled film that had a whole section where they were making Waiting for Godot in it. Really? Yeah, the most <laughs> random thing in the world. You're like, what? Okay, this is very odd. I have to say, I haven't seen any interpretation whatsoever. I, you know, I don't know if I'd want to see any interpretation, apart from obviously Rick and Aid, but all, I, I would have liked to have seen Robin Williams and, and Steve Martin's version mm -hmm. of it as well. Mm -hmm. But I did hear stories. I think it was Carlos Davis who told me that in the end, Robin Williams would just go off on one and just do do his own thing do his own thing exactly and you're kind of like well that's okay you know i'm paying to get two things here i'm get i'm paying to yeah. get one of the you know one of the great plays of all time but i'm also paying to get some robin williams standoff like i've such modern references in this play it's so weird <laughs> i i would have loved to have seen samuel beckett sitting uncomfortably in the audience you uh, big watching yeah. like, this is this is not what i wrote <laughs> Could you? I mean, it's just crazy to think about it. But then at the same time, I guess it really is down to your own interpretation, because there are lots of different versions of Waiting for Godot where people have said this is nowhere near the original version. Um, I would have liked to have seen it. But at the same time, mm, it would. Yeah. Especially the fact that Christopher Ryan was in it as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious yeah. about that. You know, I mean, I interviewed Christopher and he said they just called up and were like, can you come down and do this? And he's a stage performer. That's the thing. He, He's not he doesn't really like TV or film. He's not, he gets very nervous. He was telling me this when we were speaking. He said he gets very, but on stage, he loves the stage. He absolutely adores it. And that's where Rick and Aid found him. They found it when they were looking for somebody to play Mike, they went to see him in a play and they found him. They were oh. like, that's Mike, we're, we're going to take it. So I think it's interesting that Christopher Ryan would be pulled in. Probably, it wouldn't surprise me on some level that that he would rein them in back into the seriousness of the play. Whereas I would imagine if there wasn't somebody there who was still committed to the actual dialogue, then Rick and Aid might well have gone off into Robin Williams and Steve Martin territory. <laughs> I, I think I think they would have definitely respected the script. I mean, there, there are brilliant rehearsal footage, if you've seen that on, on YouTube, um, from Rick and Aid in Waiting for Godot. Have you seen them? Yeah. They're, they're really nice, just little glimpses into how they were doing it. I think they were definitely very respectful of it. And yeah, it's definitely one of those plays where I think you can either take the absurdity and the hilarity that goes on between them, or you can treat it seriously. But that is what's great about it is actually lends itself both ways and how you want to play it. When Rick and Aid would have played it so fantastically, I really wish. It's kind of I, a shame. It. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, bringing it up and it's a shame that nobody filmed it. It's the same with... But do we know that nobody filmed it? It's, it's my white whale. I need, there might be an audio recording somewhere. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a good question, actually, Matt. And the thing is, nobody, th everybody thought that nobody recorded Rick's stand-up tour. You know, obviously when he was on tour with Ben Elton. Sure. Um, and uh, actually they did. I've actually seen an entire video of Rick's stand-up tour. 
Yeah. Where, where, where does that exist, uh, Mark? Do you know what? I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. I will say this, though, is it, it's it's in very good hands. It's somewhere that is developing an alternative comedy. I don't want to say museum, but an alternative comedy. Repository? Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, suppository? No. Um, yes, yeah, what I heard. <laughs> what, repository. They're just, they're just shoving it up there. That's all they're doing, yeah. shoving it up. Um, so I've seen it. That's the thing. And uh, the, the quality is very poor because it was just, back in those days, obviously it was just the VHS camera. You mean the, the visual quality? Visual the, quality, yeah. yeah. You can't, you can see Rick, but because of the lights, they're on his head. Um, so you can't really see him. What does he look like? Kevin Turvey? Yes, how young is he? What's this kind so of? So this would have been, hmm, to, this would have been what we're talking eighty six, eighty seven, maybe something like that. And he comes out on stage and he has his hair. He's got long hair, but he has it parted and then put into horns, mm -hmm. and okay. then long, long at the back. It's it's really weird because obviously you don't see Rick with that haircut anywhere else. So him coming out doing that, I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is strange. With hair, but, yeah. yeah, exactly. With that, yeah. <laughs> But the majority of his stand-up really was bits of bottom. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Was, yeah. Like, I, I think, so when he first started touring, his set was just over an hour. And by the time he'd finished, it was about 1.40. And I saw something about, I saw about 90 minutes of it. And yeah. the majority of it was either him on stage going, <laughs> and, uh, you know, chatting up all the birds on the front row. <laughs> Uh, thrown in with loads of bottom jokes yeah, that, of, that you know made into the show basically yeah. or so knob gags, knob gags yeah, yeah all of the stuff that you would kind of think okay that's interesting but it's not a stand-up show it's mm. just a series of jokes which work brilliantly in bottom but when you go to see somebody you kind of expect a certain a certain pattern to the way that their stand-up yeah. would go so to turn up i think people just turned up and went oh it's rick mail fantastic and but what had he done? Uh, had he done the young ones at this point? Yeah, he'd done young okay. ones and filthy rich and cat flap. Um, All right, sure. And Kevin Turvey as well. So you know he was he was famous. That's the yeah. thing. Famous. Mm. You know the the tour went all the way around the UK. I think they they ended up touring for about eighteen months in the end. But he wasn't he wasn't bottom famous. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? That's, it seems to be another one of those things that all, that sort of threaded with the other things and led towards bottom. You had the physicality that he did on stage with Rick and Aid, and then the the sort of knob gags on stage, and it all ends up kind of it all kind of combines, and eventually we end up in the nineties with bottom. So the the characters that Rick and Aid played in bottom were sort of the the evolved versions of themselves via the young ones through Filthy Rich and Cat Club, and that we we eventually end up with Richard Richard and Eddie Hitler. What do you think of these of these comedy characters? They're some of the best comedy characters I've ever seen on camera, even to this day. You know, I said it earlier um, that the comedy transcends generations and decades. And still to this day, you know, probably part of the excuse for writing the book is that I just went back and watched loads of Rick Mail stuff. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that's no bad thing at all. Then you've got to write about it. That's the tough thing. But going back and sitting there, and watching Bottom as a middle-aged man, you kind of, I, I always had this worry that it's not aged well. Mm. How's, it, how's it How's it gonna go? You know, the young ones, there's bits in that that have not aged well, and you're like, ooh, I'm not sure about this. But with Bottom, 
I know that they've cut out a couple of bits in the re reissued box set, but they're they're small, you know, lines. That's it. But the rest of it still works to this day. And the fact that people have been ripping off Bottom in one form or another for sitcoms for decades. Shows... Hey, what do you mean to explain? Like, because we don't feel there's anything that's really a, a, holds a candle to it. And if so, anything we really talk about on the podcast, well, is a kind of modern bottom in feel is sort of sunny in Philadelphia, which I don't think they'd have even seen bottom. I think it's just sort of step. But so, yeah, what do you think are some shows that have been influenced or ripped off? I, ju- I just think there are lots out there that have two characters that are very Richie and Eddie. It doesn't, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that it's just about them two in the show, but I'm thinking about certain bits in like the early days of my family, something like that. 2.4 children you know i know these are family sitcoms but there's moments in these things where you think that's a richie and eddie joke that's that's <laughs> just been watered down for the 6 p.m audience here i think you know you you can see it in everything that's the thing and you are well look at the influence that rick has had on somebody like rian johnson the director of star wars and he puts Adrian Edmondson in Star Wars based on the fact that he was in Bottom, Mm -hmm. you know, and Rick would have been in it. There's no two ways about it, let's be honest. (laughs) But I think the fact that you have somebody like that referencing Bottom again, and then you've got all of these other sitcoms that are out there as well that are still doing bits that Rick O'Reid did 30 years ago as well. There's just little bits. I'm not saying that there's a direct comparison because I think you're right, is that possibly the closest thing is maybe... It's always sunny in Philadelphia or, you know, it's sad to say, but anything that Greg Davis does as well. But that's understandable because Greg Davis, obviously a huge Rick Mail fan, so much so they put him in man down and the man loved him like we all did. But in direct comparison, there is nothing. But there's just little bits where you'll watch something. You'll go, yeah, it's kind of funny, but I saw it 30 years ago in The Young Ones. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think Peep Show potentially is a more kind of up to date one um, in terms of the two characters at the heart of it. They kind of love to hate each other. Yeah. Um, but when people we we've on the podcast several times, obviously, then said, but Steptoe and Son and Hancock's Half Hour influenced Bottom. So you can kind of take it back to Galton and Simpson as like the original influences. And it's always little bits that, you know, Rick and Ada obviously borrowed slash stole um, you know, like even aids admitted you know that they they basically ripped off Steptoe and son um i mean are you are you a fan have you watched Steptoe and son and hancock's half hour have you have you are you a fan of those shows as well i had never seen those before deciding to write the book and then i thought yeah. well you've got to find out where these influences come from so i watched yeah. all of those basically and you're right that let's say they homaged them that's a mm. nice way of saying yeah. ripped off um but why not? I mean, that was some of the greatest comedy Britain had ever put out mm. up to that date. Mm. Um, and then Rick and Aid just took it to the next level each yeah. time. I think, you know, the young ones is ultimately Steptoe and Song, but punk. Yeah. Bottom mm-hmm. is Steptoe mm. and Song, but under a conservative government where there's nothing for these middle aged men at all. You know, they're they're less than the bottom of the barrel. So you can see all of those influences coming through. And the thing is, Rick was a, a huge studier of all of these people. Like he knew every single comedy routine that these people did. He he loved people like Charlie Chaplin as well. And you can see that, you know, let's face it, you know, as much as Rick was not a clown. There's no, at no point can you say Rick was a clown. I don't think you can. 
but he did slapstick very well when it was needed. You know, bottom is slapstick, but it's not what we would class it as. You know, you wouldn't instantly go bottom is slapstick, I don't think. But there are the fact that Rick was a studier of these people and he would constantly read books on them and, and find out what made them tick and what how they came to the joke shows that it wasn't just these two turning up and writing something in a room they were they were taking bits from all of these different areas that they loved and putting it through their own minds putting it through their own machine and creating something that they spat out and thought nobody's going to watch this you know it's it's going to be watched by about five people but actually it's watched by millions of people still and i think that's the beauty of it is that you can have people like that who take all of these influences and adapt to them yeah. as well and add yeah. their own and then that improves upon what Absolutely. has already gone before and then that is yeah. why obviously everything seems to be like well that's harking back but actually it's new and it's fresh and it's fantastic have you got a favorite episode of bottom do you know i really like the ferris wheel episode yeah. okay oh, yeah and I the, the reason why is because it's so existential mm -hmm. and you don't expect it does it like, you know, you watch it as a kid and you think this is hilarious because they're stuck on a Ferris wheel. And as a kid, that's kind of your dream, isn't it? To be stuck in a, in a, in a fun fair after they've shut the gates and you get free rides on everything. Like, that's amazing. And then you get a bit older and all of a sudden you start to think, hang on, they're, they're talking about life and death and love. And then you think it can't get any more strange. And then the hand of God comes in. Yeah, right. Yeah, and tip it over the edge. Yeah. And you think, okay, now it's even worse. And then all of a sudden, if that's not enough, they turn around and they say, because of the way the BBC is funded, blah, 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 yeah. we don't actually believe in this. So then they pull it out. So ultimately, they, they do this really deep dive on existentialism mm -hmm. and then throw us right at the end with a typical Rick and Aid slap in the face mm -hmm. by going oh shit and you're like that, i mean that's incredible writing yeah it's yeah. a bit of a flex isn't it showing like this is what we can do but <laughs> this yeah. is what you yeah and then we'll then we fall to our deaths ha, ha, ha. You're absolutely right mate yeah it is a huge flex that look this is we are intelligent we are mm. really intelligent and in fact this is what we're doing but at the same time we're going to give you what you want as well yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like it's almost like waiting for Godot that episode. They're mm. trapped on there and they're going nowhere, um, yeah. <laughs> nowhere quickly. And then you know what they're waiting for? Literally death. Um, it's so, definitely yeah. one of our favorite. It's definitely one of our favorite episodes. That one. It's yeah. you know one of the few that are done in real times. So there's not you know there's it's all just it's all like a like a two man stage play. That one. You mentioned slapstick and and the sort of and the violent humor and that kind of thing that Rick and Ada are famous for. When we've when we've talked about the stunts they do and elements of slapstick. And we tried to think of anything else in the 30 years since the show first, first debuted on the BBC. And we can't really think of anything that has ever matched that level of uh, slapstick humor. Is there a reason why that you can think of that um, we don't have anything like that, that compares now um, in anything else? It's too dangerous. Do you think? Look, we're adults. We understand the difference between what is on screen and what is joking material but you know th there's still a lot of people out there who i think would probably oh. take it seriously which is you know it's a shame it really yeah. is but it's it's the way of the world look we have warnings on dettol bottles for people because they're drinking it you know and this comes straight out of bottom and it needs to be there because people are drinking dettol you they're know. the type of people that would drink dettol we're better off without <laughs> 
<laughs> have you seen the live and kicking uh with rick and aid on when there's a phone call and someone some kid says oh do you think it's dangerous that some kid might hit each other with a frying pan and he's like no it's <laughs> people stupid isn't it you're just you're an idiot this is so dismissive of it like but that's see you know it's it's funny you bring that up because that's an interesting interview because that's one of the few times that they did pre pre 6 p.m interviews and let's be honest the big breakfast is another great one yeah Yeah. but it's very awkward it's (laughs) really awkward because you can see that they are desperate to make some sort of reference to a knob or so go (laughs) oh you know the the typical reconate that you would want to see but they can't because they've been told that's the thing you know there's a great interview where they're on jonathan ross as well and you can see like it's it's awkward to watch because you're just desperate for them to become who they who you know them for but they can't they're they're like that no no we can't no come on think no don't say it don't say it don't say it don't say it don't say okay we got away with it it's perfectly fine and i think that's why there's not much that there's not much material out there Mm. of Rick and Aid's interviews. And that was part of the problem in writing the book is that, you know, a lot of times there's loads of interview materials. Um, you know, if somebody's made a film, then they've inter- been interviewed countless times around the world or there's a press kit or something. There was none of that for a lot of the stuff that Rick did. So it was really difficult to find anything about how it even got made or anything else like that like the nintendo adverts you know They're fantastic I can't they fantastic adverts but there's only a couple of them on youtube yet rick filmed quite a lot of them and got quite a lot of money and that's why his house was called nintendo towers but it was really difficult to find out how many he'd done and then i found out later on like about six months after i'd written that bit that he'd gone back and done a few more I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've written that bit now. Now I've got to go back in and do it again. But it was all of these little bits that I was finding out later on that I had no idea about that he'd done, you know. And I think that was the thing. Like, Rick did voices for two computer games, which seems strange. Like, it seems... Yeah, Hog of War, Hogs of War. Hogs of War, and then it was some secret agent spy thing. I'm trying to think of it. It got a really long name that it didn't do anything. But, you know, Rick was a master of voice work. Let's be honest, you know, after the accident, that's what he did for a long, long time. And he became a master of it. And you knew when Rick was doing the voice for something. Mm. But for him to not do computer game voices was a real shame. But I think he was... He was too ahead of the curve once again in terms of voice work. You know, you look at the films that come out of Hollywood now and they're all voiced by somebody who you know, like a famous person. You go, oh, that's Chris Rock or, you know, that's Mike Mm -hmm. Myers or whoever it is. If Rick was still here now, Rick would have been doing half of that stuff. That's the thing. Like Mm. we, we, we would have had him doing... He could have been great as Donkey, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, the amount of outtakes we would have got would have been fantastic. But it was a shame, you know. It's such a shame that obviously he passed on, but he was ahead of the curve, and the stuff that he put out there, a lot of it is still great. Like his work in Watership Down is fantastic. You know, Watership Down. Nobody's going to that thinking, oh, "I'm just going to watch Watership Down." You know what it's like. It's easy that. No, no, it's difficult. <laughs> but yeah. but and, Rick um... turns up and makes it kind of fun. You're like, okay. And Wind, Wind of the Willows, I think, is one that he did with that is just phenomenal. He's brilliant, isn't he? You know, yeah, um, yeah. Won the won a big award for it as well. And then they replicated that a year later because they had the, the sequel as well. But yeah, he's fantastic. And I I write in the book that, that is that's the high watermark of 
when people do Wind in the Willows adaptations now, when it comes to that character. And it really is because it's not it's not too outlandish, but it's outlandish enough for that character. And I think this goes back to obviously what we were saying earlier. Certainly you were, Angela, is that Rick knew the level mm-hmm. that he would go to. Yeah with people and he knew the level he would go to with certain characters. I don't think anybody ever told him, you need to tone this down. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone could. (laughs) I think you're right. Maybe in private, somebody said to him, you need to tone it down. But it never felt like, you know, you never watched something. You went, yeah, it's too much. That's too much. That is. Grim Tales, I think, was the one for me, obviously, as a kid like that. That's what I can pinpoint as my first my first like you know introduction to Rick and just absolutely just perfect his narration of all of those but think um, about Jack and Ori as well think, mm. think about Jack you know Jack yeah. and Ori this iconic tv program for kids that's been mm. running since the 60s it's very nice it's very easy going and then all of a sudden in the 80s Rick Mail turns up and basically the kids fall over themselves because it's amazing because he's bouncing off the walls and the parents fall over themselves because it's too ridiculous. This is not what we're paying our license fee for. This is absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to write in and complain. And it was the one that got the most complaints. And yet they invited him back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was watching it the other day on YouTube and it's something that you could watch it with, you know, if you could listen to it with the, with the visuals off. And it's still perfect because of the voices that he does. But you're right, Rick bouncing around on set, creating a mess when he's making the, you know, he's throwing the ingredients everywhere. It's just, you know, it's it's, it's taking a format where usually someone's just sat in a chair reading a book and just turning it on its head. I mean, so Rick was like, obviously a fantastic performer. And in Bottom, him and Aid are, as you mentioned earlier, two characters who are kind of at the bottom of life's heap under uh, a Thatcher government. How important do you think class is in in British comedy? I think it's huge if it's done right. I think that's the thing. Um, Rick and Aid got it. They understood. You know, I mean, Maurice Grown said to me, uh, Rick was always a middle class boy trying to pretend that he was a working class boy. (laughs) And I think no, there's loads of pricks like that. (laughs) But but well, you know, we don't have to. But you see, that's the thing. His, his attitude seemed to be like he did really care, I think. Yeah, I think that was the thing. But in terms of class, yeah, it's hugely important, especially when you have characters like Rick and Aid who are at the bottom of the barrel because of their sh- social standing. And, you know, they live in Hammersmith. Let's be honest, you know, it's regardless of what you think, it's quite an affluent area to a certain degree, mm. um, even at that time. Uh, but the fact that they have been thrown out of life in general you know they have no friends well they have two friends ultimately um but even then that's vague isn't it i think they just turn up just for the drinks and the nibbles but i think it is i think it was hugely important for rick and aid certainly certainly in the way that they developed their comedy that they were taking a stab they were taking the piss out of things that you didn't think they were taking the piss out of I think mm. that's the clever, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about existentialism is that they were, you watch it now and you go, oh, I get it. But at the time I didn't get it. And I think that's very much the class structure thing in mm. certainly in bottom anyway, young ones, not so much. Cause that's just, you know, that's just university life, I guess. Um, 
But yeah, bottom is all about class structure, but it's buried. That's the thing. It's buried behind being hit with a frying pan or having the TV thrown on your head or something. Mm -hmm. But that's the cleverness of it is that it's yeah. getting you on. It's not just getting you on one level or two levels. It's going to hit you on three or four or five because it is so deeply layered. It's yeah, worth the watch back at a later age, isn't it? As we, you know, you discover all these things and as you say, you just enjoyed the knob gags when you were young. <laughs> what, I mean, what does that say about us, really? Too often it gets dismissed or just sort of categorised in one, in one thing of, oh, well, it's that slapstick show or it's just about knob gags. But it, it is. It's about so much more. I mean, it does merge wonderful cartoon style violence and slapstick with, you know, uh, great writing and uh, great, you know, wonderful characters and terrific performances. Let's um, not forget as well that they are royalists as well. They love the royals, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, which is uh, too much, don't they? Yeah, a little bit <laughs> yeah. too much at the times, but at the same time, that's a huge quandary going on there as well, because, you know, the royals, uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, well, the queen's the, coming around. Exactly. That's the thing. You see, all of a sudden, you're kind of like, my goodness, they're so they British. love the royals. Yeah, yeah, so British. But at the same time, they don't understand that while they hate the government, the royals are higher than the government in terms of people taking your money. But they yeah. love the royals. Yeah, so you can't do that in America because the the president is the head of the country, and so you have to have politics in with it. But you can. That's the thing. This, this, this. Why British class is a little bit different. Best in the world. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you did. You say you you'd been to one of a couple of the live shows. I did every live show. I am, all of them. Yeah, it is my badge of honor. If there was a badge. My badge of honour, first one I did at uh, Lincoln Theatre Royal, uh, just me and my mum sat right at the back. I mean, goodness knows what my mum thought How at the time. How old were you? What was that? What What was first tour? 93, maybe? 93, yeah. 93, yeah. so 13. 13. What? Uh, you, you bastards! <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you weren't allowed in? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, we're, ultimately, you know, really, I shouldn't have been allowed in. We were at the back. And I imagine, I, I've never really asked my mum this, but I should do, actually. I imagine she thought, it's bottom. You know, it's kind of harmless anarchy to a certain degree. And then <laughs> they obviously... They start the scene where... They throughout. start the scene yeah. where he turns up with a sex doll taped to his knob. <laughs> and, you know, I imagine I'm like that. This is amazing. And my no, come on, Marcus. Come on, Marcus. We're leaving. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> We imagine her going, oh, God, we'll wait till half time. We'll wait till the interval and see what it's going like. And then we may leave early because of traffic or something. <laughs> um, so that's how it started. How it ended was at Hammersmith, ironically, which is brilliant, um, with the last tour being on the front row. And, you know, it, Rick had this thing later in life where if aid would punch him, he'd have Tic Tacs in his mouth and yeah. spit it. Well, because we're on the front row, he did it once and all of the Tic Tacs hit my missus in the face. Great. <laughs> you like, pick them up. Yeah. Like, great. Yeah. Don't let them dissolve. Yeah. I want yeah. those. Take yeah, them keep home. those. Keep those, yes. <laughs> Start um, licking them right in front of Rick, yeah. making eye contact. <laughs> yes, it's been in your mouth. So I am very fortunate in that I, ha I had seen all of them in person and um, Every single one of them I can remember for different reasons. And I think that's the beauty of it is that, I mean, you spoke about it in your podcast actually quite a bit is that you go, yeah, yeah. Well, when they broke character, that was hilarious, wasn't it? And you go, yeah, they did that last night as well. <laughs> and the night before. And you're like, but that's just them is that they, they're giving something back, which to them is routine. But for people, and you know, this is pre-internet, nobody had seen it. And you're like, oh <laughs> God, they fucked up again. God, they're not very good, are they? 
that's that's a very good point actually now it's easy for you know we live in the age where um someone does a stand-up set and there's someone in the audience recording it and they say that's it it's gone now because it's out there um i suppose it's easier to keep secrets and surprise audiences back then and so actually uh, if you were there in the audience and they do their fluff and you think you feel like it's something quite special and actually it's scripted but it doesn't really matter because They've added to your experience there in the audience, haven't they? They've made it, they've made you feel like you've seen something unique. I think the beauty is the fact that I'm originally from Nottingham, and obviously you'll have seen the world famous clip that is online of Rick, you know, doing it in a Nottingham dialect, yeah. and he's pretty spot on, to be honest with you. I mean, it's it's very close, and that was filmed in Nottingham and got a huge round of applause because everybody was like, yeah, he's got that. <laughs> and I imagine he did that on every single place as well. I remember him doing it at Hammersmith, but mm. that's quite easy. Cause you know, I, I think he just did a copy. Sorry, do. Okay. Um, but when you're going to different places and we're not just talking about arenas either, you know, there was no arenas at that time. And so they were going all of these little places and the, Thank you know, the God, little though. inflections. Yeah. I hate you know, arena. I hate. I hate comedy in arenas. Um, there's no. There's no life to it. Theater, it's it's yeah. dead. It's mm-hmm. dead. It's there's, I, I think certainly with Rick and Aid, they needed to see that audience to mm-hmm. get the reaction. Yeah. And I think that's why you get a better reaction with them doing yeah. forty dates when they did instead of watching. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge League of Gentlemen fan, but I saw it in an arena. And I'm like, this is dead. This is, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's no, not totally. great. It sucks all the life out of it because you can't hear people around you laughing. Yes. That's what it is. And well, yeah. you need that unity. You need yeah. it in comedy. Yeah. And they need to hear it. Yes. Conversation. Yeah. yeah. Did anyone see the Python reunion thing at the... I did. That yes. actually, that worked at the O2 just because it was Python. <laughs> and also <laughs> because it was a yeah. series of sketches as yeah. well. That's the thing. So they would go off and then somebody else would come on and whatever else. So there was constantly something happening. But when you think back to bottom, it really is just them two on stage. Mm. And as you rightly point out there, Angela, is that for them to not see the audience and to be that big vast gap of air and mm-hmm. them not not be able to hear it properly would not have worked for them at all i really don't think you know I, they needed to be near the audience they needed to have that reaction and it's the same obviously you see the the behind the scenes clips of bottom where they've got the audience mm-hmm. and how they react to that as well because then they know how many beats it is before they can go into the next line as well yeah yeah yeah. Was um was Guesthouse Paradiso something you saw when it was out in the cinema at the time? I well, that's a good question. I was working at Universal when that was released, which obviously was distributed by Universal. So I was there trying to get all of the free merchandise possible. So this goes back to what you were discussing as well on your podcast, is that at, at times it was Guesthouse Paradiso, Guesthouse Paradiso, a bottom film as well. <laughs> so I remember when I was there, it was just called Guesthouse Paradiso. That was it. Like there was no reference to bottom whatsoever. And I think you had said in your podcast about it that I think it's to do with rights issues because obviously the BBC and whatever else. And I think that's what it was. Um, but I saw it and I thought it was not good Mm. at all but i've since gone back i do write about it in the book i've since gone back and there is some bits that do work i mean let's be honest we all remember it's thwaite we we all remember that you know that's good uh the phoebe one boiled egg i think most of us remember that um richie in the latex underwear thing um The giant ball of sick. That's, you see, look, all, all of a sudden, I haven't seen this film in years, but all of a sudden I'm reeling it off. But I think as a complete narrative film, it doesn't work. It mm. feels, yeah. it feels weird. I think that's the thing. Yeah, 
That's yeah. what kind of the uh, it's the same thing I was saying before with guiltily going on about perfect written cat flap. I, I don't want to complain about it, but it's certainly not their best work, is it? Uh, but yeah. I, I just kind of writ it off for years, just thinking like, yeah, it's not very good, and then revisiting it for the podcast. I was so surprised that because I because I'd forgotten all of the good bits, and there's loads of good bits in it still. There is, yeah. The, the, there are some really good bits in it that would make great sketches, but hanging it together, it doesn't really work. I think the most shocking thing is the amount of really famous people that are in it. Yeah, some pre people they got just before, like very early Simon Pegg. And... Well, the funny thing is, I interviewed Simon Pegg for the book as well, and I said to him when you worked with him, what was it like working with Rick? And he said he was actually very nervous. And a few people told me that that he was very nervous behind the scenes because he wanted to make sure everything was right. Mm. Everything was. Just you mean Rick was nervous? Yeah, Rick yeah. was nervous and he wanted to make sure everything was right. And he knew if everything was right, if the crew were, go- were laughing at the joke. That's when he knew it was fine, but he would be very nervous before that. But ultimately, Simon Pegg had said he was very welcoming. He would talk to everybody as well. And I think that makes a big difference, especially mm-hmm. when you're a star as well, going around and saying hello to everybody. That's a huge difference. And, you know, we, look, we said this about half an hour ago. He... He knew how to talk to people, everybody on each individual level. And I think that really helps. Mm. Another performance he's very well known for uh, in the world of film uh, is Drop Dead Fred. And as I mentioned earlier, you've um, I've seen you introduce the film at the Prince Charles Cinema. I know you've written about it for Film Stories magazine and you've interviewed the director. Mm. Um, what do you think? Why do you think Drop Dead Fred didn't do particularly well at the time, but has since become a sort of, it's grown organically to become a sort of cult favourite with people? I think it wasn't marketed right to a certain degree. I think they got that right, especially in the US. Let's be honest, this, you know, this is a film that really was made for the US more than anything else, but nobody knew who Rick was. That was part of it. Everybody knew who Phoebe Cates was. Nobody knew who Rick was. So I think they got the marketing wrong to a certain degree and you know, you watch it now and it's quite a dark film. You know, it's a it's a film about the struggles of mental health and how being an adult and yet you still have an imaginary friend is a big no-no. You know, your friends look down on you and things like that, when in actual fact, it helps Phoebe Cates' character move on to the next stage of her life when Drop Dead Fred comes back. So I think maybe because we're now more open to talking about mental health issues, that's why the film has found its audience now the fact that obviously it's incredibly funny and you know the scene where Rick tramples poo into the mega bitches uh carpet is incredibly funny and then when he looks at the skirt he goes oh cobwebs you know it's still really funny it's still really rick but it's got that very serious side which has now finally come of age and we're now talking about it and i think that's the thing and also the film is now studied in a university in california in terms of when people talk about mental health it, it's the film wow talk about really? yeah that's yeah cool. it's it's on the syllabus that's how big this film is so i would just said something like inside out from pixar would would be my go-to ones well, uh, of course yeah the I mean, fred is maybe maybe the best uh, things you can get from that like the... but at the same time you go into it and you go well it's kind of funny and then at the end you get that analytical look at it and your you know your tutor says to you right what did you learn from this outside of that and they go well actually phoebe case's character is really struggling uh, this helps her and you know there's so much going on in that character 
So you can see why they use it as a reference point. Incredible film about how you're overcoming your childhood and what you've lost and who you were and and that her relationship with their mother. It's really complicated. And the fact that Mm. their dad left and the mums blamed her. There are loads of dark things in Drop Dead Fred, but it... It's absolutely hilarious as well because of what Rick brings to it. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm really pleased to hear that that's being studied. Drop Dead Fred, I still tell people it's my favourite film and people look at me sideways as if I'm insane, but um, it is. There's 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 no little girl that watched that film that didn't want to be Snotface as well. Exactly, exactly. There's there's millions (laughs) of people around the world who are able to quote that. I mean, I spoke to Anthony Fingleton as well, who was one of the co-writers, and he said, I knew that Drop Dead Fred was still very popular, he said. And I was trying to explain what a cult film is to one of my producer friends. And the guy couldn't quite understand what a cult film was. I mean, this was years ago. And he said, so I beckoned the waiter over who was in his 20s and he said, do you know Drop Dead Fred? And from then on, the waiter just quoted Drop Dead Fred (laughs) scenes to him. And then his film producer friend went, oh, right, I get it, in that people just love it, but it's not the biggest film. And I think that's the beauty of Drop Dead Fred, is that it is instantly quotable, and yet we're still talking about it all of these years later. And so is the director. You know, Arter is absolutely fantastic. He's happy to talk about that film all day long. And why wouldn't you be? It looked like a heck of a lot of fun working on it. Yeah. Why did no one else give him any bloody film like it didn't do commercially but put it's there's proof it's like a proof of concept isn't it look there you are you're crazy I think, I think also you're right about it not being marketed uh terribly well do you ever see um they did actually get rick mail on the david letterman show to uh, to promote it the interview is on youtube you can just tell letterman does not want him to be there at all it's, <laughs> it's, i feel re- i feel really bad for rick mail when i watch that interview it's yeah. it's quite cringeworthy at times yeah i, I must tell you this as well actually is, uh Carlos Davis was telling me, who's the other co-writer, was telling me about, because you know they've been trying to remake Drop Dead Fred for years, haven't they? Yeah, I, I really hope they never oh, do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, this was a discussion that I had. I'm yeah. like, I hope they don't. But they had been trying to do it. And when somebody had bought the rights and they had got somebody from Saturday Night Live, he didn't tell me who it was, basically. Then they dropped out um and Carlos Davis did a rewrite of it and they still weren't too sure and then eventually they got to a stage where they were happy with the script but nobody was they couldn't get anybody basically and then about two years later they called up and they said hi Carlos congratulations Drop Dead Fred's going ahead we've got Russell Brown yeah uh, that's yeah, the rumor that's I heard, heard yeah, yeah. And Carlos Davis said, who the fuck is Russell Brand? <laughs> I <laughs> can see that kind of... The, was it's this, wrong, but yeah. Was this was this at the point where he'd just done Arthur and they thought, oh, we found some, we found a British guy who can sort of play a man-child type character. So that, right, yeah. Well, it was just before and then Arthur died a death, basically. And they went, yeah. no, sorry, we're not doing this film anymore. <laughs> um, but, you know, Thank as you, much Arthur. as people go, oh, God, Russell Brand, oh, and whatever else. Russell Brand's favourite comedian is Rick Mayle. Mm. Well, it just means he's human. doesn't yeah. mean that Russell Brand's brilliant. Suddenly, everybody's got a newfound <laughs> respect for Russell Brand. You know, everybody's listening to... His favourite food's ice cream. That's yeah. like, so what? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it shows you that, you know... You, you can never write something out. And they're trying to do a Drop Dead Friend musical. Whether it'll happen, okay. I don't know. Um, it was it was on the cards. 
It's been on the cards for a couple of years. Carlos Davis is writing it with a, a British composer, actually. And obviously, with the world turning on its axis mm -hmm. the opposite way over the past 18 months, that's put a stop in it. But uh, yeah, they're still trying to do it. Okay. Mm. I feel like that could be interesting to see a completely different medium for it. I just thought yeah. there would never be a way to redo it as a film and not have it be rich. It's just repeating uh, it otherwise. Yeah, you bring yeah. something new to it, I guess, like the... Um, uh, my favourite film, you know, Back to the Future. Future. Yeah, Back to the Future. Groundhog musical. Day, the musical, yeah. was fantastic, I have to say. So um, you see, it but, does work then. Yeah. That's the thing, is that you can take something you love and change it. The problem is you would worry that you would turn up and there would just it would just be number, you know, song numbers, mm -hmm. and they would just be singing about, where's Drop Dead Fred? He's in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God, this is just uh, bloody uh, Spider-Man Broadway musical yeah, all over again, no. isn't it? I think yeah. that would be the problem. Um, but obviously we should say as well, uh, you know, Drop Dead Fred filmed at Paisley Park, Prince's Studios. Oh. Prince's Studios. Yeah, Prince. The Purple Mark. Wine. Wow. Yeah, Purple yeah. Rain. Yeah, so if it wasn't... So all of the Drop Dead Fred land was filmed at Paisley Park. So as well as Rick Mao, you've also written another book, uh, an in-depth exploration of the film of Al Pacino, right? Yes. The Al Pacino movies behind the man. Yes. So I'd like to ask you the... Uh, hypothetical situation i guess could you see rick mal playing one of al pacino's roles wow, and vice a, versa as well al pacino in a rick mal really, role wow that's a really good question thank you wow thank you it is isn't paul, it paul, paul isn't wrote it? that question well well done paul well done paul but also well done for matt for asking it that's a i think rick would have been great as the majority of 90s shouty pacino <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see Rick in like heat or something doing the great. great well, it's the bloody it's the phone, isn't it? With the oh Scott Janey. Yeah, see, <laughs> perfect. You know, or as Dick Tracy, as uh, Big Boy Caprice and Dick Tracy. I think so. Anything in that era, I think Rick would have been fantastic at. Al playing a Rick character. Well, See, now, now, just based on what Matt said, I'm now imagining Al Pacino going, oh, ring, ring, ring. <laughs> 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 Lieutenant Sex Machine, hot as yeah. yeah, that'd be fantastic. It would be. Somebody... <laughs> If, if there is somebody who is really proficient in editing and whatever else on the internet, please put that up on YouTube. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, people can do deep fakes now, can't they? You Perfect. Can have... yeah. Please yeah. do that just for our amusement. That would be great. Um, we will have you on the show to talk about how you did it if you do it. Yes, I'd love to see it. Uh, so Al as a Rick character, that I'm, do you know the only thing possibly would be in Waiting for Godot? I think because there is that depth uh, of the the character there, um, an owl waiting here. Oh God! Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 you know, as as much as Pacino always wanted to be a comedian, and he still want, he still would love to do comedy stuff. It, he, you know, he's not as outlandish as what you would expect him. Really. I could see him doing Kevin Turvey. You know? <laughs> That could yeah. be, that could be, you've got the time on your cock, you know. Yeah. Oh, well. I'd, love to, I'd love to see Pacino doing Jack and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, he'd be good at that. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of film roles or TV roles, yeah. It... I feel like Pacino could be a hedgehog. <laughs> he could probably <laughs> the hedgehog's role, just get him in bottom doing that. Like, it's all <laughs> I'd like to see Rick Mao do a Dunkin' Donuts advert in the Adam Sandler film that whatever one he was, the shit one. 
let's which be narrows, honest. No, doesn't narrow it down, does it? Which one? No, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to relive that moment in Al Pacino's filmography at all. So we certainly don't want a deep fake of Rick doing it either. <laughs> Even though it would probably be amazing, I don't think we'd need to see it because then we remember that it's with that terrible film. But um, that's a good question. Damn, never really thought about it. But yeah, great. Wanted to steal your uh, question that you are, have asked a lot of people. I think I'm. I may be. Uh, I think I'm getting it right here, which is uh, I wanted to ask you if you could sum up Rick's legacy in one line or one sentence, what would it be? Is that, I, have I got that right? Is that the question that you that, would ask people? That's the question. And the reason I asked that question is because I can't answer it. So you <laughs> bastard for asking me that. Um, it's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, lots of people are given lots of different answers in the book. And I like that about it is that to everybody, there was that slight difference. I think the answer, what is Rick's legacy? To me... It is making people happy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's made me happy for decades. Mm. He's made you lot happy because you've now doing a podcast. You know, there's there's millions of people out there who have been happy because of watching Rick. have probably been through a shit time or a good time, whatever. But you put something on that Rick is in and the world disappears. It's, it's a different place. Mm. You know, as much as all of these characters, well, the majority of these characters are real people. You could imagine these real people you kind of forget the outside world. And I think that's the beauty of Rick's work is that he, he just makes you laugh. Yeah. And that's really difficult. Really, you know, comedy is the most difficult thing to do in the world. Mm. And to Rick, it seemed easy. It's so overlooked, uh, it's important, isn't it? But yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It can, it, you cannot measure how many people's lives he's touched and how many days he's saved from just someone who's on having a particularly bad day and then they see him for the stupid face. <laughs> I'll, I, do you know, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story that uh, I included in the book is that Rick was on set of something, I can't remember what it was, but there was a young guy, I think he was a grip or something like that, young lad, first thing, really nervous, Rick saw it, noticed that this young lad was really nervous. Second day, the young lad's really nervous, so he goes over to him and he says, could you do me a favor? Could you go online and find out all of the ingredients I need to make a bomb? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the young lad, apparently the young lad just looked at him and was like, oh, oh, and he went, I'm being serious. He said, I'm the star here. So you need to go and do this. <laughs> so the next day, the young lad turns up with a list of ingredients that Rick needs to make a bomb. And from that moment, the young lad blossomed. Uh -huh. and actually found himself and it was all to do with rick and <laughs> asking somebody to... <laughs> i mean it's it's brilliant but you know this is this goes back to it doesn't it is that rick knows how to do knew how to deal with everybody guys it's well, so difficult. you see look i just say i just said knows how to deal with it like he's still here like he you know yeah, he's still yeah. here i think that's yeah. a difficult thing and that was difficult actually writing the book because i had to do an entire chapter about rick's death mm. and i wanted to write i wanted to put what the newspapers had put on the headlines because obviously rick was front page mm. let's not forget that With very every paper every, every paper. paper and not many people from the alternative comedy well nobody from the alternative comedy world certainly nobody from comedy world really apart from maybe robin Williams, ever got front page but rick was there so i was sat in the british library with all of these newspaper front pages sat on this huge desk and i just looked at it and just got kind of got quite emotional about it because you're looking at it and all of them say Rick has died. Mm. And you kind of forget that, yeah, he's gone because he's, it feels like he's still about. And I just sat there going, 
this is horrible. This is, and it was a horrible chapter to write. It was, it was just horrible, but it had to be written. That was the problem um, because you can't not touch it. But I just chipped away at it. Didn't write it all in one go because there's no way I could have done that. Yeah. Just to look at those front pages and see the outpouring of love from not just like, you know, the red tops, but also from all the broadsheets as well. That shows how much of a legacy Rick had. Mm. The, yeah. It always felt like it was he was more cult than he actually was because, yeah, everyone suddenly came out of the woodwork. Everybody was a fan. There was people on there who you were like, how did you even know? You know, Mark Hamill. But how did Mark Hamill know? You know what? Yeah. And then you find out that he was a huge fan of the young ones and bottom. You're like, this is incredible. And I think that's, it just showed how many people he, he really touched. What's the, what's the response to the book been like? It's, I mean, you know, as with any book, there's good reviews and there's bad reviews. (laughs) You, You just take it on the chin, I guess, but it keeps selling. I'm really pleased. And thank you to everybody who keeps buying this. You know, this was a labor of love. I put it out myself. It didn't have a publisher or anything else like that. Mm. Um, so it was just me doing all of the work. Um, oh, mate. Well, I've got to say, you've done, a, you've done a fantastic job with it. I mean, it, it, there's so many stories, bits of information in it, stuff that even people, even people like myself who consider themselves a diehard Rick fan, there's so much stuff in there. And it's like, it's not just... Uh, not to be disparaging to any other books, but it's not just like cut and paste from Wikipedia or like nicked from entertainment websites or anything like that. It's actually written and thought about, you know, by someone who's clearly a fan of of the work and Rick and alternative comedy, you know, not to blow smoke up your bum, but it's a, you know, it's a fantastic read. And if, if for people who are a fan of be they Rick or alternative comedy or just bottom, I would, re- I would recommend it. It's available on, it's available it's available via hardback as well isn't it but it's also as an ebook um, so it's available on all ebook providers so um, i'm from essex i can't read do you have an audiobook available <laughs> coming out ever do you know somebody did ask me about an audiobook and i was like i i don't think i could do it justice mm. i, I only think rick that's... were here to read it out about what do you think he would he brilliant. love you think he'd have loved it just because all about his favorite subjects what do you think <laughs> it's difficult to know because he was such a private person away from being out in in the public that i i, I don't know i mean i would hope so I, w- I you know i would love to get some feedback from rick's family that you know privately or something that they say actually you know it's it's a nice job but they're private people yeah would you know that's great that you kept it private though that you you didn't delve into his private life and that you made it about his work who cares that, about that, that most people's private lives yeah. it's point it's it's mm. just rubbish and let's be honest having when i was reading the book and i spoke to people they were very much like honestly when when rick's not about he's just at home watching tv and ordering yes. pizza and washing the dish like you know there was no scandals or anything really i mean the only one scandal was obviously when Lisa Mayer was pregnant and he ran off and uh, she um, she sadly lost the baby and then he married Barbara. So, you know, there was that big scandal. But beyond that, I mean, that's just life, though, isn't it? Like, see, that happens that, to a lot of people, you know. That, yeah. So, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah. But putting things in about Rick's personal life and whatever, I'm, that's not me anyway. I'm not interested in that. And I think the majority of Rick fans are not either. Yeah, they know. wouldn't want you to still feel like, you, oh, what are you shitting on him for? We bought yeah. this book because we love it. Why are you having a go at him? You know, you're right. if you only want to. 
yeah. hear the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You just want to hear the good stuff. And, you know, as much as I turn around and there's quite a few bad bits that he's done, the majority of it is, look, Rick's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we try to do that when we've had, we've tried to be critical and we try to be honest in a lot of our, you know, what we talk about. And, and you don't want to say a bad word about Rick or Raid. They're fucking fantastic. Like, you know, I've even just... we've said it before, even they're like kind of not quite great still isn't bad. Like it's still yeah. Yeah. wonderfully entertaining. It's just that, oh, it's just not quite like as a star as the stuff that, oh, oh, well, you know, it wasn't perfect. But, but look at, look at the great. watermark. Look at yeah. the watermark yeah. that we're comparing. Set by them. That's the yeah. only reason why some of it's not quite, you know, because of how fucking superlative yeah. Their, yeah. their work is, you know. And, yeah. and, and anything by them that may seem mediocre or average for them, for other people yeah. would seem like the height of, of mm-hmm. other people's careers. Uh-huh. Um, Great point, and, and that's a and that's a testament to the quality of of their of the rest of their work. Yeah. So, well, where can people get hold of a copy of the book if, uh, if they want to have a read? So, the physical book is on Amazon, so you can order it from Amazon. Uh, it's also available direct from Lulu as well. They're the printers, uh, so you can get it from there as well. It's seven ninety nine plus postage and package. And as I said, yeah, it's also available on all ebook providers, um, and it's three ninety nine on there as well. So. Um, Please, please do buy it and let me know as that well. That sounds that sounds a very much a bargain. Uh, I I'll repeat that. That sounds really cheap. Thank that you. sounds Thank that you. sounds bad. Like, well, sounds, yeah, no, 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 surely you could charge a bit more than that. No, we're, no, we're, we're going to be charging more than that for our book, I hope, right? <laughs> no, I mean it has been a question that has been brought up. You know, it seems a bit cheap, but I then look at other books where I'm like, that's two hundred pages, and you're charging seventeen pound. And I'm like, ah, no, I don't know what you guys are charging. Hopefully not £17 for 200 pages because I've just put a dampener on that. But, um, you know, I I just looked at it and thought this is the type of book that should be available to the most people at a reasonable cost. And I'm like, £3.99 seems like an average cost as an ebook. £7.99 for 270 something pages. I'm like, that that seems reasonable as well, Um, you know. Yeah, we we're not setting the price on ours, but um, you know we're, we'll we'll definitely try and get it to a bit more than two hundred pages. I think. <laughs> no, you can't. No, no, it's, oh, it's just about bottom. So how are we can do that? Oh man, two yeah, years. You say it's going to take two years. Now we'll get it done. There's three of us. So yeah. what's that? Yours is two hundred pages. Well, ours is going to be two hundred and one. So notice you've got some viewers at home can't see uh, his background, but you've got some pop vinyl figures there. Do you have these? These two, no, because they're 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 unique. They got made, got made custom. Yeah, custom made bottom Funkos. Um, <laughs> That's going to translate like... really well on the podcast. Oh, they can... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like basically, until, until Mark actually told people what you were holding up, we, uh, people would have no yeah. idea, would they? They just got my cock out. And, yeah, you, got... <laughs> <laughs> you got two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh. mm. um, yeah, I've seen them online, and you know, I, I'd love them. It's weird, isn't it, that there are no official one it's bbc i think are a little bit funny with the licensing stuff because you see that's how, any of that. that's how funko get around licensing is that actually they're not directly they don't look like them directly they don't have the uh oh, yeah. the approval that's how the funko get around them you see um yeah. but you know let's be honest there's a as much as everybody who's listened to this is like no there's not a small market for bottom funkos that there is that's the <laughs> problem yeah. um they're just not going to do it and i don't think funko who are based in um based over in the states are like who what bottom no no i'd love there to be a drop dead fred one i really want a drop dead fred i've seen a drop dead fred one but same thing yeah custom 
Yeah. And also music. one from Man Down. That's quite a niche one. Yeah. 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 Man Down, where he's dressed as the bear. <laughs> yeah, that would be oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which brings me on to just to ask, what British comedy are you watching at the moment? What What's kind of exciting you comedy wise? Do you know British comedy? Okay. I, nothing much at it's the moment, tough, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's really. Have you, have you watched The Cleaner yet? Yes, I am watching that. As I said, anything with Greg Davis, because ultimately he is Rick Mail's love child. Yeah. Um, yes, that's good fun. But yeah, it's really it, at the moment we're devoid of some really good hardcore comedy. I think readers back to life. There's quite a lot. Yeah, would you call having back to life a sitcom? You see, well, you know, it, it's it's a comedy. It's a British comedy, is what my question was. You see, yeah, this is see, my mind goes blank, and then all of a sudden, you pointed out two of my favourite shows um, because they've both got Daisy Haggard in, who yeah, is absolutely, yeah, she's phenomenal. She really is, and she's she's genuinely hilarious as well because I've met her several times. She she would have been brilliant with Rick. Yeah, I know. She so, would have been amazing. You know, I mean, she had Aid in series two. Exactly, but Aid was obviously playing somebody else, uh, who's a really serious role. But yeah, yeah, Breeders, you know, I like the swearing in it. I don't have any kids, but that's how I treat yeah. my nephews. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's difficult. You know, there's, there's some great stuff, but my mind goes blank. Yeah. My mind there's goes so back to bottom. Stuff now, like, yeah, content wise, I go back to my favorites a lot more, but yeah. there's so much to like kind of watch. Um, but yeah, okay, there's, cool. The, the great thing is that, you, you know, you have that thing where you go, there's too much, as you rightly pointed out. And then you just flick through the guide and you go, oh, bottom's on for an hour. Yeah. Two episodes, <laughs> I'm just going to watch that. But you've got yeah. them all on DVD. We need to fuck out. No, watch it live. Yeah, that, but do. that's the thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I've got the DVD. I've got the Blu-ray. I've got the VHS tapes. Um, I've got all of the bootlegs. It's on TV. I'll watch it on TV as well. That's it. That's the beauty, though, that we've said, like, you know, Rick, I hate talking about Rick in the past tense because he is still there. He's still right. We can watch all of his stuff you know, as long as we live, you know, and that is the gift that he's given to us all, isn't it? That you can keep us laughing. Oh, um, what, a, what a gift. Thank well, goodness. Right? Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I like the way you summed him up because I think you're absolutely right. I think making people happy is what he wanted to do. Um, and he will continue to do so. And yeah, we'll keep celebrating it. Mark, what are you working on at the moment that you can't tell us about? <laughs> Just taking up more years of my life is basically uh, something that I can't tell you about at all until next year. And the Russell Brands book, Comedy <laughs> do you Hack. Know, do you know, it's, it, it, I would be really interested to interview Russell Brand and ask him all about Rick Mail and ask him about Drop Dead Fred and everything else like that. I would. The, the sad fact was when the book came out, Russell wasn't on the radio because I would have loved to have spoken to his producer. Mm. Can I come on and talk about the book? And obviously, you know, how Russell was going to do Drop Dead Fred. Unfortunately, he's not on the radio, but I would love to speak to him about it. Mm. I would, you know, somebody like that who was so close to doing something that rick had done oh he must have been if he's a rick fan you know that must have been yeah. like oh this is a nervous thing to do then maybe he was slightly relieved that it got taken away from him maybe probably yeah. not probably not yeah, yeah like, it, it makes me feel better knowing that he is a rick fan like if it had happened like hopefully he would have actually been doing it, his utmost to do it justice you know but, yeah uh, but the, you know we look back at arthur mm. <laughs> yeah, Arthur, was, yeah not good and i love dudley moore and yes yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, I don't know, if I, yeah, I think it's very good. Like, is what Ross Brown's one of the types that's easy to, to slag off as being one of those types that are shit. But I, I really find him kind of 
sometimes all right, sometimes a little bit charming. Yeah. He's gotten a yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to trying to look cool by shitting on people more successful. No, than no, me, no, no. You're you're right in that there is that fine line between manic energy that is funny and manic energy that is obnoxious. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the Rick thing: is that Rick knew where that line was, and Russell doesn't. And yeah. I think anybody who listened to Russell Brand's show when he had Matt Morgan on is that Matt Morgan would pull him back because he was his producer, and he would pull him back very nicely. But he would also take the piss out of him. And I think that you know there was no line there. Whereas with Rick, he knew the line. Sadly, Rick is missed, and sadly, Rick will be missed. Uh, the book <laughs> is Rick Mail Comedy Genius. Mark, thank you very much for joining us here today on Talking Bottom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. For a while.